several things in Mark chapter 6 that seem to just happen and be random, but we want to see the connection in God's word today. Several events. First of all, we see um, Jesus going back to his hometown and how he's received there. We see him sending out the 12 and their impact or their instructions. We see the death of John the Baptist. After that, we see him feeding the 5,000. He walks on water and he heals the sick in Gennesaret. So let's look at this chapter in its entirety and see what the Spirit of God would have us to understand concerning his word. I hope that you are, are being blessed by God's word. I know his word ministers to us and, and God has said his word won't go out void. And uh, we learned, though, that there's something that we have a responsibility to do. When Jesus taught, uh, he said the word went out and it went in four different types of circumstances. And only one of those types of soil uh, received his word. And so you need to determine with what measure you give, you will receive. With what measure you take that you bring to Scripture, the attitude that you bring, whether you're receptive or not, is, determines what you'll get out of it. You can walk out of here today and say, I didn't get nothing out of that message. Guess what? I'm going to say, it's on you. I did my best, <laughs> but it's on you. And I know my best may only be so much, but the Holy Spirit has no limit. He can take the word of a donkey and make it appropriate for you today. He can take, the rocks can cry out and he can speak to your heart. He can move in silence with a still small voice and make something that's applicable to you. It's are you willing to listen? So I pray each time you hear God's word, you would just quiet yourself and say, Lord, prepare me to hear your word. Show me what you want me to receive. The first section, verses 1 through 7, we, 1 through 6, Jesus goes to his hometown. And he gets an odd reception. You see the questions that they list there? Where did this man get these things from? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? I notice in these questions, they don't say, I don't believe he did that. That ain't real. That ain't genuine. He's faking it. They don't, they don't challenge the genuineness of what he does. They don't even question that. That's amazing. So it's wrong for people today to say, well, you know, Jesus really didn't do all that. The people who were there, firsthand witnesses, never questioned any of that. People today try to explain the miracles away. You know, he walked on water because there was something underneath the water nobody could see. You know, he fed the thousand because, you know, Peter had a big old robe and he was slipping them goodies and Jesus was just taking it and passing it. You know, this is nonsense. Lazarus wasn't really dead. He was just in a coma in a cool breeze of the tomb. Woke him back up. The people of the day never questioned that. They couldn't. It's indisputable. 
But here's what they question. Who do he think he is? That's what it, we know him. We know his mama. We know all his brothers. We know his sister. He came from right around here. Who he think he is? And here's the comment. At the end of verse 3, they took offense at him. I'm trying to figure out, what could you possibly take offense at? All the things he did, they took offense at him. He think he all that. Well, he is all that. And you got to be blind not to see it. And to take offense at it, but that's what they did. Notice Jesus' response in verse 6. He marveled because of their unbelief. What did they not believe? They believed the miracles were genuine. They didn't question any of that. What did they not believe? Think about that as we go through this section. The next session, he in verses 7 through 13, he sends out the 12, the apostles. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to travel light. There's a reason for that. He says, you're not going because of the great expense account I'm giving you. You're not going on vacation. You're not going out to, to have fun. Travel light. He says, the place that you go, whoever takes you in, stay there. Don't travel from place to place. You know what he figured? Like, hey, they're going to feed me good the first night, but then the second night, then all the leftovers. So I'm going to go over to so-and-so house second time. Second night, I'm going to stay over there, then I'm going to plan over here, then I'm going to sit over here. He says, no, it ain't about that. Wherever you go, take whatever they give you, receive it. Travel light. And he says, don't take a lot of stuff with you. And the thing about a staff, you could use a staff for protection. You don't need that, he says. Now, you can use a staff for stability and walking, too. So just take one staff. Just, just take what you, just the minimum of what you need. And then he gave him this instruction. Verse 11. If any place you will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. Why would Jesus say this? He's preparing for what he's seen already, rejection. They rejected the teacher. They re will reject his disciples. Don't be surprised. Be prepared and leave a testimony that you've rejected this teaching. We came. We spoke. You wouldn't listen. We're leaving. The next section, you wonder how it fits. It's the death of John the Baptist, verses 14 through 29. But notice how it starts. King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. That's interesting. His name had become known, but not necessarily genuine followers and those who really believe in him in his own hometown and when he sent his disciples 
Jesus is meeting resistance. It's not because people don't know and haven't heard. Even Herod heard, got wind of what's going on. He sees what's happening in his, in his little kingdom. And we see the response of several people. It says, some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said it's Elijah. Others said he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I have beheaded, has been raised. All of those have it wrong, don't they? All of them have rejected Jesus. Or they have denied Jesus. Yeah, they say he's like Elijah, or he's Elijah, or maybe one of the prophets. But they failed to accept the truth about Jesus. They struggle to understand, to accept, to believe the truth about Jesus. Give you a hint. This whole chapter is about rejecting Jesus. When you reject Jesus, you will reject those who follow him or those. And if you follow Jesus, you can expect to be rejected. Jesus was well known. You would say he was popular but not for the right reason. They said he's one of the prophets. They said he's Elijah. They recognize he's done great works that nobody else could do. He's an unusual person, but they still don't get it. Why is that? Well, we see the particular case with Herod. There's reason why he doesn't get it. Perhaps... He explains or helps us understand some things about our, ourselves. He said, no, this got to be John. This got to be John. Come back to life. His unbelief is based on his bias and his past history and his sinful, wicked mind. You get that? Perhaps that's where all of our unbelief stands. Our biased, our past sinful history, and our ugly sin nature. Herod was paranoid that John had come back even though he put him to death. And so we get the story of what happened. And we learn some things from what happened. I'll just give it to you briefly. It's very well wrote out there. It says that um, Herod, verse uh, 17, Herod has seized John, arrested him, right? Put him in, in prison. Why? 
for the sake of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife. Now, if you want to do an interesting story, and, you know, if you have a smartphone, don't do it while we're here, but go home during the weekend and just look up Herod. You'll see several Herods, and there's Herod the Great, the one who died in 4 B.C., uh, right around the birth of Jesus, and then he separated his kingdom, I think, into four parts for his sons. And this is Herod Antipas who, who came after him. And you, you can learn a lot about Herod, but, but it's, it's kind of like one of those, um, uh, it's confusing. It's, 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 it's a very, uh, it's a mess. His family, his relationships are all a mess. You, you kind of get that in the fact that he wanted to marry his brother's wife. That's bad enough, right? What's his brother's wife's name? Herodias. Take the I-A-S off the end and what you got, Herod. They named each Look, she is the, she is the, 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 she comes from within this family. She herself has been married to one brother who's actually her husband, who's actually her uncle, who's actually... It, it is such a mess. It's incest, it's wickedness, it's sexual, all kind of nonsense going on in this one family. And you, if you drew the family tree, it'd be all twisted all together because there's so much incest and nonsense going on that it's hard to keep it all straight. But it says John stood up, John the Baptist stood up and said, look, it's wrong for you to marry your brother's wife. Not only was he committing adultery, but he was actually committing incest as well, um, if you look into it. And for that reason, Herodias hated him, had a grudge, it says, against him, wanted to kill him. Herod, being the weak leader that he was, decided he's going to pacify and satisfy everybody. That's what weak leaders do. They try to please people instead of doing what's right. And so he decided he's going to do that. And what he did was he arrested John and protected him so that Herodias couldn't kill him. That didn't make John happy or Herodias happy. And so they looked for an opportunity. The opportunity came on Herod's birthday when he had this big celebration. He had all the key people in his kingdom there. And guess who performs at this celebration? None other than Herodias' daughter. I don't know how old she is. She's called a girl in this passage, but she was old enough to dance. And she was old enough to get the eye of men. And they were watching, and it says they were pleased. Please so much that Herod says, girl, I'll give you whatever you want. <laughs> Up to half the kingdom, I swear. That's what he did. He, he made an oath. And as a king, an oath you don't take lightly. When he said, I'll give you whatever you want, I swear, she's like, he got it. Went back home to mama. Mama, what should I ask for? Mama said, I want you to ask specifically for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I remember when I was a kid and I read that, and I, I'm like, that, that, no, that can't be right. That's in the Bible. What's even worse is that Herod, because he made an oath, 
decided to honor it. Now, how can you put honor and murder and incest and adultery and a king all in one together? But that's the mess that he lived. And by the way, God did not save John from this. He prepared John for this very same thing. If you're going to live for Jesus, you're going to be rejected. John is one who was rejected, not protected, but rejected by wicked men because he stood for Jesus. You and I don't even want to get a little cold or flu if it comes from coming to church together. I'm serious. John gave his life for the Lord Jesus. That's what walking and living with Jesus means. Jesus didn't deliver him from this. What a contrast between Herod and John. Herod, a people pleaser. John, who stood up for the truth, regardless of what consequences might come to him, and stood up against the very king or head in the land. What a contrast with Herod. He respected John, even feared him, but didn't believe and didn't heed the message that John preached. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message there is that we can have respect for people, for people of God, we can even try and protect them and honor them in whatever way. But if we aren't living by that message, we still have rejected not just their message, but the one behind the message. We have rejected Jesus Christ. Herod denied John. Herod denied and rejected Jesus Christ. Now, he would throw up his hands and say, well, you know, hey, I, I, I try to protect him. But when it came down to protecting his own word and his own reputation in front of his friends or protecting and standing for John, it didn't take him long to make that decision at all. Rejection of the messenger, we see. There's a theme of rejection. In the next section, verses 30 through 44, we see Jesus interacting with his disciples over the crowd that had gathered. It seemed wherever Jesus went, a crowd followed him. Verse 30 picks up where it left off after Jesus sent his apostles, the 12 apostles out. Now they come back and they, they want to have some feedback of, of what has, they have done in, in going out and giving this gospel out. And uh, they were exhausted and tired after this, their mission. And so Jesus says in verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Explain for 
many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. They, they had no peace, no rest. People were interacting with them all the time. And so Jesus said, let's have a little retreat. Let's get away. And so they plan this retreat and they go in a boat and they try and get away. But people are looking and following, tracking them. And so when they get to the other side, people follow and, and, and go over to where they are and they meet, they're waiting for them there. A huge crowd again. Verse 34, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus, I think, looked beyond his fatigue and ministered to these people. You know, you had to kind of do that today too, didn't you? You had to look beyond your fatigue of the weekend and you had to come to church. That's part of what it means. You don't come just because you feel like it or because you feel rested and, and you have so much energy. You come because, like Jesus said, he had compassion on the crowd. He saw the need. We have a need for rest, but we have a need to minister as well. And Jesus responded to this need. And so disciples came as the day wore on. It was getting late. Now, Jesus was teaching. If you ever taught before, you can imagine how ex exhausting that is. Jesus was teaching, and so um, near the end of the day, the disciples said, Hey, Jesus, it's about time we send everybody away so they can get something to eat, because um, ain't no place here for anybody to get anything to eat, and uh, we've had them all day. And Jesus turns to them and says, You give them something to eat. <laughs> and they're like, You could kind of feel in the world. They're like, Are you crazy? What do you mean give them something? You see how many people it is? Give them something to eat. We, you know, if, if we was rich and we all collected our money together, we couldn't buy enough food for all these folks. That's what they said. And then Jesus said something interesting. What do you got? Go and see. He tells them to take inventory. Why would he do that? He wants them to know what he's about to do. Take inventory on your deficiency and the need, and you see you ain't got what it takes to meet the need. Nowhere near. And they come back and they think, you know, this is settled the issue. Okay, Jesus, <laughs> we got five little pieces of bread and two fish. What is that among all these people? Jesus takes what they have. He says he blesses it in front of them, and he begins to hand it out. But before he does that, he, he groups the crowd and sits them in groups. Why would he do that? Again, he wants the disciples to know. He's given account for how many people they are. You notice he groups them in fifties and hundreds. And so you can sum up, you can count the groups, and you can see how many people are there. He does that. He blesses the food and he passes it out. In fact, you, you need to know how he does that. There's information there. Verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and did what? Gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Now, he could have just went out and given it himself, but he gave to the disciples to give to the people. Why does he do it that way? 
He says, I want to take the little bit that you have. I'm going to bless it. And I'm going to give it to you to give. I've commanded you, feed these people. And you can't do it. You don't have the supply to do it. And I'm not asking you to do it by yourself. But you're going to feed them with what I give to you of what I took that was not enough. I'll take the little bit that you have that's insufficient to meet the need. I will bless it, give it back to you, and as you give it out, you'll see it accomplish what I purpose for it to accomplish. Jesus is teaching a lesson, isn't he? Do you get it? Do you get it? What you have won't be enough to meet the need. But when you give it to Jesus, he gives you what you need to accomplish his purpose. That never was your purpose. You said, I don't want all these hungry folks here. Send them home. It was God's purpose, and he purposed to use you in it to accomplish his purpose as he supplies the need. It's a great comfort to me to know that what God has given us to do, he supplies the need himself by taking what we have, blessing it, and using us to meet that need. But if you only get that, you still won't get it. You have to ask yourself the question, why does he meet the need? I'm not going to answer that right now. I'll answer it before we're done. Verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, so we see what's happening. They all ate, and by the way, notice what they took up when they ate. They took up more than they had when they started. Jesus supplies more than enough. So after that, they dismissed the crowd. They're fed. They can go home. And he tells the disciples, go on over to the other side. I'll meet you over there. Then he goes to pray. It says that in verse 46, he went up to the mountain to pray. Can I put a plug here for Wednesday night? You know how important prayer is? Jesus made a constant habit of praying. You know how tired he was on that day? When they started out, he was tired. People, folks, you don't tell me because you, you don't want to tell me directly, but, but I know the excuses that come from my heart. Pastor, I would be here, you know, if I didn't have to work the job you blessed me with that I asked you to, all, all the church folks to pray for. I would be here on Wednesday if I didn't have to work that job and, and do all the stuff, you know, I had to fix, you know, I had to get, wash my car. I got to put gas in that car you blessed me with. I got to, you know, shovel the snow at the house you gave me. I got to, you know, wash the clothes of the clothes you gave me and all the blessings that God's folks prayed for me. I, but I, I would be here if it wasn't for all that because I'm tired. I'm tired. Jesus was tired. Disciples was tired. 
They was tired when they started. All the folks followed them. They was trying to get away. They had a whole day of teaching. They was tired. Then they fed all the people. They was tired. Jesus missed them. He was tired. What did he do? He took some time to pray. Maybe that's why you're so tired. You don't take time to get nourished by God. It's not just good enough to eat the food. You can eat as healthy as you want. You won't get spiritually fed. <laughs> Are you learning? Do you get it? So he sends them away. They start in their boat. And he starts, after prayer, I guess he gets, starts to walk, and he just simply walks on the water. He's going to the other side. And he's about to pass the boat by because it says he saw that they were rowing kind of, they were, they were struggling in the boat. And he's going to walk by. And uh, you can imagine as he's walking by, it's the fourth watch of the night. I mean, it, it's, it's dark. It's just dark outside. And they're in a boat struggling, and they see somebody walking past the boat. <laughs> what did they say? They thought it was a ghost. They were terrified. But immediately he says, take heart. It is I. I like the phrase, take heart. Not just receive heart. He says, take heart. <laughs> uh, take courage. Be of good courage. In other words, gather your courage. You can live in fear all your life until you take heart. In other words, recognize who God is. They recognize it's Jesus. Don't be afraid. It's me. Take heart, he says. It is I. Do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them. The wind ceased. Are you surprised? <laughs> we shouldn't be, but I believe they were. They were utterly astounded. What were they astounded about? I, I'm not sure. They astounded that the wind ceased. They astounded that it was a man walking on the water, but it was Jesus, just the whole day, the whole event, whatever. They were astounded, but why? Not just what, but why? For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They did not understand about the loaves. What didn't they understand? In the loaves, Christ provided. He makes a provision. He gives what is needed. What didn't they understand? It was right before their eyes. What, what is it that is key in this chapter is the rejection of Jesus. His own family rejects him, says, we know you. You can't be all that. He sends the disciples out. They proclaim his word, and even they will encounter rejection as he prepares them for that. Uh, Herod has rejected his messenger and thus rejected him. He teaches about the five loaves, or he, he does the miracle of the five loaves and the two fish, and he feeds 5,000 people, and he walks on water, 
and the disciples still are astounded. And the Bible tells us why they were hard-hearted. It says they didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't understand the eternal purpose of God's provision, or of Christ's provision. He provided the loaves not just so that they could eat a day. It did that, but it wasn't just for that. What was his purpose in providing those things? It's the same of his purpose in doing all that he done. I, I sat there and I wrote out all the miracles that had happened so far in, in, in Mark. And I say, why aren't they getting it? What is it that they don't get? The purpose of Christ's provision, the purpose of these loaves is so that they would see that they have an all-sufficient Savior. That he is sufficient for all things. That he has authority over all and he uses his authority to accomplish his purpose. He, 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 he is all-sufficient. And they don't get it. It's not just that they don't see it. They don't understand it in an intimate and a deep level. Maybe I said that wrong. They, in a very practical way, they don't understand it. Usually the two do go together. If you don't understand something deep, it's because it's practical. It's not making any sense to you. If we are to understand Christ... If we are to look at what he does, we are to understand who he is, that he is the provider. He is the one that is all sufficient. He says, I am the bread of life. I can feed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. I can take care of all of your needs, but according to my purpose, do you want, know what my purpose is for you to see me for who I am? Early in the chapter, they said, who is he? Is he Elijah? Is he one of the prophets? Is he John the Baptist? All of them have rejected who he is. He is the one and only Savior. The one and only all-sufficient one. The one and only one that gives eternal life to those who trust in him. The one and only one who's king of his kingdom of which all of us will stand before and give account for our lives. We dare not reject who he is or fail to see or deny who he actually is in our thoughts and in our behavior, in our day-to-day -day life. When we go on doubting God, when we go on living in our fear, we are denying who Jesus is. <clears throat> when we go on setting our own priorities, we go on making our own plans and going on our own agendas. We are denying who Jesus is. If, in fact, he has saved us and called us to himself, then our lives are his. Like John the Baptist, look, if that's what I've appointed to you, you, for you, that is what you are to do. Walk in obedience to me. I'll get the glory. I'll be responsible for the outcome. You just walk in obedience to me. They denied even the disciples, and that makes us think, are we 
practicing that today in our lives, denying who this Jesus really is. What we ought to do is to take inventory of what God has done. We look at what Jesus had accomplished and all, all up to this time, I, 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 I've noted at least 18 different circumstances of where he did miracles. And some of them are just general, so he did many more than just one. Up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, and the disciples have seen all of these things, and yet they stand on a sea and they doubt. Yet they marvel, and Jesus walks on water, and they fail to acknowledge, they fail to put in a practical way, Lord, why have you done what you've done? What is it I'm to know and to recognize and to live in light of that, of who you are? Who is this one? And have I accepted who he is, and does my life reflect that true understanding of who Jesus is? It's not enough to just honor him and want to hear more about him. That's what Herod did. He entertained and wanted to hear from John. We ought to live based on who he is. Father, we pray today that as your word is given to us today, you would truly open our eyes to this all-sufficient Savior and call us to trust him, to walk in that truth, to not deny who he is, to not deny him of his purpose in our lives, his right to rule our lives and to appoint for us what it is we are to do. Not to measure that by our measurement of success or by our desires of what we want, but to surrender ourselves completely to you. So, Lord, I pray right now we would have that mindset. You would challenge our hearts. You would bring us to conviction when our mindset doesn't match that, which is quite often. You would draw us to yourself the all-sufficient Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to ask our leaders, our deacons, if they will come forward as we prepare our hearts and prepare ourselves for communion.